Welcome, everybody, to another episode of Need Some Introduction. I'm your host, Victor. And in this episode, we will be recapping Barry, Episode 7, Season 3, Episode 7, an episode called Candy Asses, which is a line that Fuchs speaks later. So just a reminder, I am looking to network with other podcasters. So if you are a podcaster or have a podcaster in your network of friends, have them reach out to me, need some introduction at gmail.com. And of course, reach out to me for any other reason. If you'd like to give us some feedback on the show, if you'd like to support the show, give us a rating or most importantly, recommend this to your friends and family. Later this week, I will be continuing to recap Obi-Wan Kenobi and the boys. The boys just had three episodes last week. Pretty entertaining start to the new season. Obi-Wan Kenobi is also three episodes in, and I am not that enthused with the show so far. I will be recording with Nick later this week and getting his feedback on Obi-Wan Kenobi, The Boys, the most recent half season, probably closer to two thirds of a season of Stranger Things. And later this week, also finally that conversation I mentioned, the show The Shining Girls just wrapped up. And I was relatively satisfied with the ending of that. I know this is not a very popular show, but we have been covering it week to week. And I'll be interviewing my sister and getting a feel of how she landed on this show in the end. And in that same episode, I'll, I'll be discussing the differences between that show on which it's based. They made some interesting changes. Some strengthened the story, and I believe some did not. But I find the novel also is unsatisfying in some ways. So if you're curious to get that feedback, check out later this week. And of course, also later in the week, The Boys and Obi-Wan and the conversation about just the Star Wars franchise in general. I'm really not a fan of this Obi-Wan Kenobi show. And I really don't understand what's going on here. <laughs> but I'll have a much longer conversation about that later in the week. Here we go. Guys, you ready? Yeah. All right. Roll and music. Hello, I'm Gene Cousinow, and I'm a mask collector. Wait a minute, isn't this supposed to be a masterclass in acting given by the great performer Gene Cousinow? You're saying to your laptop or mobile device, and yes, it is, don't fret it. And by the end of this class, hopefully, you're gonna be a mask collector too, God willing. Let me give you an example of my favorite masks. Hamlet, to be or not to be? Is that the question? Stanley Kowalski. Stella! Get down here! Get down here! I wanna eat! A cop in Serpico. Hey, Serpico, are you going against us? You see, these are not literal masks. There are roles that you're gonna play in this class and they are gonna change your life. Now, yes, I have given students the tools to go on to great careers. This class is not about entrances and exits. It is about reaching into your soul, pulling out that muck, and throwing it on the stage. Hey, I'm acting here! That's a Rizzo. So, are you ready? You better be ready, because the curtain is up, and the spotlight is on you. And welcome to Gene Cousinow's Masterclass. This episode of Barry, a really uh, incredible episode of television, by the way, following the kind of loopy, surreal episode last week with the, the motorcycle chase on the highway, we have a much more somber reckoning in this particular episode. 
an episode multiple times about death and about the consequences of the kind of goofy action we saw last week, the dark side of this storytelling. Things open bleakly. We're at the funeral of Richard Krempf, also known as Ryan Madison, who is the actor that Barry killed all the way back in the first season, the actual first contract we actually see on the show. I mean, I guess we saw the, the shooting or the aftermath of the shooting in the hotel room. So maybe this is the second killing we see in the entire show. And we see that his father, George, is not dealing with this well. He is still traumatized, as you would expect, by, the son, by his son's death. Meanwhile, Barry is dying, as we saw at the end of last episode. And Shannon cannot deal with the fact that just watching him die. So she throws a towel over his face and makes her escape. And probably, I'm assuming here, reaches out to probably more than one person. But it seems to be that George Kremp is the one who shows up, probably because he's closest. But that all happens later. No intro music, by the way, this week, and maybe appropriately so considering the tone of the show later on. We do have a comic reprieve here where we see Gene's masterclass being produced. Pretty hilarious, this whole concept of the mask collection. And this is so heightened. I mean, I have uh, seen some of these masterclasses, not for acting, but just in general. And you really see this kind of overly earnest teaching, which I guess is maybe a stereotype of teachers in general. But all is to say that this is kind of tone perfect. It's just turned up a little bit higher for the comedic effect, but pretty close to something like this. Very entertaining. So Barry has not died. <laughs> he has nearly died, but he has not died. And he wakes up, but he is still significantly incapacitated by being drugged. This near fatal dose of whatever it was put into his dipping sauce for his beignets. And we see a really, really cool shot here where he has walked out, out of the house, out of Shannon's house, and starts to wander down the street. And as he's wandering down the street, we start seeing that the waves are breaking from a beach onto the road itself. It's definitely a combination of just shooting on the beach and then some special effects to merge the two images together. But a very cool effect as he pans down the road and we see this beach. And in the distance, there are people on the beach very, very far away. And we'll see who they are later in the episode. We see that Sally has indeed gone to work at the, in the Medusa's writer room. And this is a, 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 a interesting satire on a writing room in general. We see that the showrunner is a total moron who apparently has this position simply because he worked on Everybody Loves Raymond at one point. And also seems that either the writers or the rest of the writers are really not that talented or simply are just collecting a check and they really could care less and they're just letting any bad idea end up on the board. And maybe this is more true to this pipeline of making television than, than not. I hope it's not this inept. <laughs> I'm pretty sure it's not this inept on the in the writer's room for the Barry show itself. But Sally basically pushes back on just the fact that some of these uh, ideas are <laughs> illogical, to say the least, for some of these scenes. I also like the fact that she says, oh, I see, it's funny. And then he says, it's not supposed to be funny. This is very serious. And then later on, he's like, what's wrong with you? It's supposed to be funny. <laughs> totally contradicting himself. But she pushes back on some of these ideas. And as she walks out, people say, wow, that was great. We've been thinking how crazy this whole thing is. And you're the first one to say something. So she should be taking, maybe could take control of that writer's room if she plays her cards just right. But something happens that derails her for the whole rest of the episode. As they pass another room, there's a very jovial, laughing group of writers with a showrunner that's kind of got the whole room in stitches. And when she peeks through the window, Sally realizes that it's Natalie. Natalie has her own show that she's pitched Banshee. And very coincidentally, or maybe not so coincidentally, it sounds a whole lot like Joplin. Now, they kind of set this up on the show, by the way, that earlier on, Natalie really took a knack to <laughs> improvising a whole entire plot line around 
just one thing that Sally said. And whereas Sally partially fictionalized her own biography, Natalie just ran with it. And apparently Banshee liked this better. Now, what's so funny about that whole situation is that it's almost as if Banshee's so inept that they don't even realize that they have just canceled a show that has almost the identical premise. So once again, is this a satire of the way that this whole industry works where you give someone a contract and then you only kind of think about it after the fact and you potentially have a hit on your hands, but you throw it away because of some random algorithm or something else? I'm sure these are all satirical things. And if you worked in the industry, you could probably relate to it more. There's a lot of these jokes that seem very inside baseball, and it kind of speaks to the quality of the show that these things are relatable, maybe just from like a workplace and friendship type analog rather than being specifically about working in a writer's room, which of course, <laughs> very few people have that experience. Shortly thereafter, Sally corners Natalie in an elevator and starts screaming at her, screaming at her and calling her an entitled C word. And this rage and this entitlement, ironically, that Sally seem ha has seemed to have had throughout the course of the show, I had almost forgotten some of these elements of how unlikable she is and how what a bizarre pairing she is for Barry in the fact that Barry sees only these positive things within her. Whereas we see this really, really negative aspects of her personality throughout the first two seasons of the show, maybe more so in the first than the second, but we see her full rage on here. And I do worry about her trajectory over the course of the remainder of the show. We see that Hank is down in Bolivia, hasn't even changed his clothes. <laughs> he just jumped on a plane immediately after picking up his beignets, apparently. And he's just wandering around Bolivia asking to find Cristobal Cifuentes. Hey, do you know who the Cifuentes family is? Do you know where they live? Do you have a intersection <laughs> that I might find them at? Despite anyone barely speaking the language, they do indeed know who he's talking about. And this whole sequence is very funny where this man working at a market, pulls out a blowgun, <laughs> puts it, loads it with a dart, and Hank just stands there, waits patiently, and then he gets shot in the neck. And I love his response here too when he gets shot. He's like, oh, that's what I thought you were doing, but I didn't want to be rude. <laughs> I didn't want to make any rude assumptions, so I just stood here and let you shoot me and drug me. We see more of Gene's show being shot and put together. This is hilarious, this whole thing about how you have to be humiliated <laughs> to get to a natural place in your acting. Don't laugh. Keep it going, kids. Now, how do you feel? Like a ghost. Wrong. How do you feel? Embarrassed. She's right. Okay, now, do the scene. Doctor, the generators are down. If we don't get electricity back in the park, the dinosaurs will escape. Let's split up. Stop. What? You see the difference? Huh? It is all in the body. It's much more real. Now I believe she's got the code. He's going to ride the dinosaur. It's all going to be fine. You've got to embrace your embarrassment. I want a lollipop. I want it to be purple. Do I look like a fool? Not my problem. Maybe this is true, but regardless, it's very entertaining to watch. Annie lacks confidence, but she doesn't want to show it in front of Jean. But her co-director encouraged her, says, no, you're doing good. Now, I don't know how well this is going, by the way. It doesn't look that great to me, but... She does get lots of compliments later on. Meanwhile, following up on last week's episode, Fuchs has met up with Jim Moss, and this is another great sequence. Jim tells him, hey, why don't we go for a ride? And Fuchs just jumps in the car with him. <laughs> no questions asked. And they start driving around. And Jim gives him a little background on his ability of getting inside of people's heads to the point that he was actually captured in Vietnam and was able to talk his captor into committing suicide and freeing him. 
Fuchs can't get over this, by the way. <laughs> There's no other detail in this story that Fuchs cannot get past that initial point. I was in Nam. was a fighter pilot. No shit. Yeah, got shot down. Captured. <laughs> Candy asses. They make you talk? I got my interrogator's head and he ended up committing suicide. Me and some of the other guys escaped. You convinced your interrogator to kill himself? Yeah. Some of the other guys said I had an aptitude for it. But uh, I thought they were just being nice. But when I got to Siri school, they pulled me out of class and made me an instructor. And the guy killed himself? Was he depressed? I wanted my daughter Janice to get into it. She resisted. She said, Daddy, what you do is fucked up. Did you get any sense of his home life? Yeah, and then she went and did a homicide thing. I was proud of her. I mean, he worked in a prison camp in the jungle during Vietnam. Seems like he might have been the ticking clock. I'm not saying, you know, anything against you, man. It's just, it might be a right man, right day situation. For instance, I got this super touchy cousin. And one day at breakfast, I said, hey, Don, you don't know how to make a proper short stack. And he put down his spatula and he went out back and he hung himself. I'm no kind of genius or anything, but uh, just a simple tonnage issue. Shit. And this whole time, by the way, Jim has been rolling up to put to the police station. <laughs> and Fuchs is like, oops, wasn't really paying attention. Shouldn't have gotten to that car now, Fuchs, should you? Detective Krauss is very excited to see the Raven. He knew it was the Raven. He's been doubling down on this conspiracy theory that, or this theory the entire time. And now here he is in his police station, the Raven. I love his explanation here too, that he's like, that's right. He's been trying to convince us it's Barry. Everything says it's Barry, but it was actually him. And he was messing with our heads the whole entire time. And here he is finally. And we're going to, uh, you know, we finally caught him. I also like the fact that um, Albert says, I need to interview him with the cameras off. And Krauss is like, no, he's an FBI agent or a CIA agent. We have to, uh, we have to do whatever he says. Sure. Do you want a telephone book to beat him up with or uh, a sock full of coins? But during that whole entire conversation, and Krauss is saying that, well, everybody said it was Barry, Moss and Albert are like, who? Who else said it was Barry? They go, well, for one person, Kusinow said it was Barry. So then they go into a parallel investigation here. Moss goes to interview Kusinow, who he met when Gene was dating his daughter. Meanwhile, Albert is going to go into that room and interview Fuchs. Throughout the episode, by the way, Hayter's been doing a great job of playing this nearly dead, these two versions of himself. One is this silently roaming, beach roaming version, while he has this real world analog that is panting and really looking like he's on death's door. I don't think he ever blinks, by the way, in any of these shots. And as I mentioned earlier, I think George Krep probably showed up because he was the closest. Shannon probably reached out to him to say that Barry would be dead when he arrived at the house. This is my guess of what we're seeing. And he needed him to just dispose of the body. Of course, when George gets there, interestingly conveyed by this car rolling up on the beach, he finds that Barry has made it a little ways away from the house and puts him in the back seat where they roll up to a hospital. And I'll leave that there. We'll get back to that. Meanwhile, Hank wakes up chained up to a radiator in a nondescript house somewhere. Akmal and Yander are also imprisoned in adjacent rooms. And I believe it's Yander who has gotten free. They've been tortured and questioned about Crystal Ball and Hank's relationship, but they have a plan and they're ready to break out. And they tell Hank 
to be ready. Once they're free, he's got to be ready to take action. By the way, this never works out. <laughs> Hank is not a man of action. So I do worry that this plan is not going to go well. Meanwhile, things are going very, very badly for Sally. It turns out Natalie recorded Sally's rant in the elevator. And she's basically become a meme on the internet as a violent ex-employee. And she's so unhinged at that moment, by the way, that it's very hard to convince anybody that she isn't coming off as a complete monster there. As I mentioned earlier, Jean and Annie have finished their master class. Once again, very curious as to these parallel timelines we're seeing here, is, which is definitely the case. We might even be seeing this story told out of order intentionally. So I'm very curious to see how things play out in the next episode. Because like I mentioned last week, we had some kind of compression here where we're trying to see, well, how long did it take Fuchs to recover from that gunshot wound and everything that was happening in Los Angeles at that time with Barry? And here we have it again. We see Gene's show is being recorded, his masterclass, and edited, and I assume is now being premiered for the agents and the producers. And meanwhile, Jim shows up to question Gene, which of course is happening in parallel with the whole Fuchs story. But honestly, I feel like you can probably get, <laughs> there will be a Reddit <laughs> after this season, trying to put these moments in time onto a board somewhere. And to see if they even work, by the way. Maybe this is just some sloppy scripting by the showrunners. But I do hope that there is maybe some playing with time here that we are not privy to yet. By the way, I want to call out the actor who plays Jim Moss, who's another Wire alum. HBO loves reusing these Wire actors, and I do love seeing them. The Wire now 15 years after its conclusion, coming up on its 20th, I guess its 20th anniversary of the beginning of the show, just this week and 15 years since it wrapped up. But still seeing the alum, this very talented alum of folks turning up, oftentimes on HBO shows. And this is Robert Ray Wisdom, who played Bunny, and makes such an impression after just a few scenes. And he shows up at this production party to talk to Gene. He says, Gene, I just want to ask you about Barry. And Gene, of course, keeps his mouth shut. He's like, oh, Barry's such a nice guy, and blah, blah, blah. But we see the camera zoom in, pull in slowly on Henry Winkler, once again, doing great, great work here, playing Gene on his forehead and we see the sweat beating up and Jim is the sweat whisperer. <laughs> Jim knows psyops. He understands how to get in people's heads and he doesn't have to torture this guy. He knows right away. I started asking him about Barry and his forehead starts beating up with sweat. I know the truth. Barry's behind all of this and Jim's just like, okay, I got what I needed and I'm off. Off to find Barry, I'm pretty certain. Meanwhile, in the fallout from Sally's discovery of this video that has leaked, she's told her agent she's going to go and make an apology video. She has to respond. Her agent says, absolutely not. Let me take care of this. But you know, Sally, she does not listen to any of that. She posts a non-apology apology video. One of those that we've seen many, many times. I would like to sincerely apologize for my perceived transgression against my former employee, well friend and employee, Natalie Greer. Now, despite the fact that the four-letter word in question here was traditionally used as a form of kinship between women and is widely used in Europe, I do understand that I have offended a few people. It's the truth. That. I am deeply sorry, but I just want to say, be careful who you trust, you know, because it takes a certain type of person to record a... This isn't an apology. This is damage control. It's the fucking truth. It has nothing to do with what happened with Natalie, and frankly, it cheapens what you set out to do with your show. My show is me, Lindsay, and she stole my fucking show. If you had just let me deal with this, 
instead of, why did you have to say something? Oh, that fuck off! You don't care about me. You don't care about Joplin. You just care about your commission. Oh, oh, it's so important to have a, a great relationship with Banshee. You want the relationship with Banshee, not me. You work for me, and I am fucking drowning. And instead of trying to help me, you're just trying to save yourself. This is honest, okay? This is the honest fucking truth. And if that makes me unhirable, then I am fucking unhirable, but at least I told the fucking truth. I have to drop you. Her agent ends up dropping her, and there's an interesting visual motif here where she's backing up and backing up into a dark place, literally, into a blackened room, and Sally's going into a very dark place, literally, figuratively and literally. And I do wonder if she's going to start researching those subreddits that Barry mentioned about psychologically tormenting her persecutors or perceived persecutors. But she's off on her own now. She doesn't have Barry. She doesn't have Natalie. She doesn't have her agent. And all those sycophants who were following her around because of the success of her show, I'm sure they're all swarming around Natalie now. So she very much is in a place she was at the beginning of this whole show. Then we have one of the highlights of the episode, really a great episode across the board, by the way. But this actor playing George Krepp talks about losing his son, who's an adult now, obviously, or was an adult when he passed away, but that how he still has not gotten over it. You know the sound of kids' footsteps early in the morning? I still hear it. I can hear him in his room on his computer. I'll, I'll talk to him from my office across the hall. <laughs> Full conversations. My wife says I'm losing my mind. She, uh, she thinks the city has turned him into some devil. I, I never wanted to hurt anyone my whole life. Until we had Ryan. Love I had for that child. It terrified me. I mean, what would I do if something happened to him? <laughs> and, and then I, I found out what you did. And I can't. I, I, I could leave you here, and you'll write. Uh, But I can't. Why? Why? I want to see my son again. And I mean, I heard this and I got a little emotional just thinking about parents who are dealing with the loss of their children just in the past few weeks. And a couple of things here, I've mentioned this on previous episodes, it's pretty amazing how they are really doing everything in their power to make us have absolutely no sympathy for Barry at all anymore. So much of the likability of Barry at this moment, considering what the character has done across the these seasons, all is on Bill Hader's likability <laughs> as an actor, as a performer. Because Barry is a terrible person. I mean, I really honestly wanted Barry to get killed here in this scene, although I knew obviously it wasn't going to happen. And what I did know, unfortunately, when that gun came out was that this father was going to kill himself. Towards the end of the episode, we see Barry is still on that beach. And although that crowd of people that he saw in the distance, when he finally gets close up on them, it turns out it's all the people who he's intentionally or unintentionally gotten killed 
and there's some loud looming sound coming like a ufo or something and this might be their portal to death but in the real world we see that it's actually barry being rushed into the hospital briefly we see that george has indeed shot himself in the head back at the police station we see the scene where albert is questioning fuchs another great scene here in a great episode of tv know how i got this shaving yeah, no, that's a bad joke. No, no. No, I got this while I served in Afghanistan. Yeah, you see, we were on a patrol, and then I got hit by a sniper. And my buddy, well, he wanted payback, but he took it out on the wrong guy. And then he got discharged. You're Albert. I am. Oh, my God. How do you know Berkman? I'm, uh, I'm his manager. His manager? Mm. Like, what, like for his acting stuff? What, look, dude, I'm trying to help you here, so be straight with me, okay? No, 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 no. Is Barry caught up in all this shit? You served with a guy named Chris. Yes. Yeah. Too bad what happened to him. His wife and kids, so sad. Little Theo, he still sleeps with his, with his mom because he's afraid whoever killed his daddy was gonna get him. Kids got intuition. You ever wonder why Chris, who never saw combat, was basically a computer geek, would even have PTSD? Oh, he loved Sharon and Theo. They were his whole world. Why would he take himself out knowing that something like that would fuck them up for life? Yeah. Well, that uh, switch you saw go off when Barry was avenging you. I harnessed that into a very lucrative job for him. One day, sent Barry out on a mission, went sideways, and, well, Chris. He was at the wrong place at the wrong time. Saw some shit he shouldn't have. You know, Barry still participates in those Charity runs that Sharon does in Chris's memory. Barry's a good guy. And between the lines here, they're getting everything they need to know. Fuchs identifies Albert from his biography, which allows Albert to know that Fuchs indeed is very intimate with Barry. Fuchs knows details about Chris's death that makes Albert believe instantly that Fuchs is on the up and up, and he knows that Fuchs is Barry's facilitator. So I think at this moment, Albert has put all the pieces together in his mind, and he knows exactly what Barry's been up to since leaving the military. And then Albert is out the door. They ask him, what did he say? It's late at this point. We see that Stark outside. Albert says, you question him. He's too busy. He runs to his desk, pulls out his gun and loads it, arms it, and he's out the door. Is he going to find Barry? Is he going to find Jim? who he knows is on the way to find Barry. Is it both things at the same time? 
Is he going to protect Barry? Is he going to arrest Barry? I'm very curious to know how does this show possibly end? All the cards are on the table. How does Barry survive another season? Does he become a CIA special operative? Does he escape somehow with a fake identity and try to redeem himself in the next season? Like has this surreal beach journey that he's been on? Has it been a reckoning for him, a true reckoning? And has it changed him legitimately into another person? And what is Jim's part in this whole thing? Is Jim going to let Barry get away? Doesn't seem He seems to be very, very skilled at what he does. Does he want to capture Barry and psychologically torture him? Maybe. And if Barry survives, is Sally going to go full scorched earth and use his powers of torture on her supposed victimizers? My answer to all those questions is I have no idea, which I love. That's exactly what I want. I do not want to know what's going to happen in the next episode. And then next time, as usual, these next up on is just a brief few seconds of the next episode with no context at all. And what we see is a grave under a tree, the location, I should say, the tree where Barry was going to kill and bury Gene at the very beginning of the season. It's his preferred place to dispose of these bodies, apparently. So the question is, who is buried there at the end of next week's season finale? Once again, I have no idea. <laughs> I would be completely guessing if I said who I thought it would be. I would say least likely to be Barry, but even that, I'm not 100% sure. Is it a fake out that they renewed this for season four? Maybe Barry's going to die. Would they kill Barry and continue the show? Maybe. It's a very quirky show. They may be able to get away with that. So I do not know. If I had to put money down, I would say it's not Barry. I would say it's not Gene. It could be Fuchs. Barry may need to kill Fuchs to end this cycle he's in. Give me your theories if you have any. Email me at needsomeintroduction at gmail.com. Once again, check out the feed for the rest of the week. Uh, we'll be talking about Shining Girls, the finale of the series, plus comparing it to the book. My conversation with Nick about Obi-Wan Kenobi, The Boys, Stranger Things, and other content he might have been caught up on. Maybe he saw the Top Gun movie since the last time we spoke. That'll be later in the week in the same episode where I will re be recapping the latest episode of the boys, and probably Obi-Wan. <laughs> Not enjoying Obi-Wan, but I think at this point, we're more than halfway through. I've got, or halfway through, I should say, exactly halfway through. I think I got to stick it out. Oh, and I believe Ms. Marvel comes out this week. So maybe I'll watch that, just the premiere episode. The directors of this series are very good at action. They've made some very good action films. So maybe the action will be exciting. Who knows? I have not vested in this fandom at all, but I'll check it out especially if it's family friendly. Maybe I'll watch it with my daughter. All right, everybody. This is a relatively short episode, but there'll be probably an extra episode this week. So I'll talk to you soon.